Solomon's death, uh, exactly what's going to happen here with the kingdom, which is uh, kind of intriguing. I guess let's do 1 to 15. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now it came about when Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it, that he was living in Egypt, for he had for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hand, the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, <coughs> Depart for the three days, then return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, will serve them, grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now you shall now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the younger men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Solomon's di- died, and uh, what would be the normal next step? Yes, so we would gather together to crown Rehoboam. That's not precisely what happens. They come to Shechem, all right, but it doesn't look to me like their first goal is to coronate him. They're more there to do what? Charitably, you could say they were there to test him. Test him, or maybe to... Trap him. Not really trap him. (laughs) Persuade him. Persuade him. Trying to negotiate with him. You know, they're not ready to proclaim him king until they find out what kind of king he's going to be. So they they come together to discuss it with him. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of, you know, the various kinds of leadership styles... (laughs) We would say that's probably a generous term that there are. Um, I think about First Peter five three, where he talks about the elders not lording it over the flock. You know, there, there's a there's a humble servant leadership where you 
<clears throat> really try to be a blessing to those you're leading. And then there's authoritarian, dictatorial, selfish, you know, you're going to do what I tell you to. And, and that's a really common way people lead. I mean, look at bosses and look at uh, husbands and sometimes look at elders and sometimes look at parents and, you know, things like that. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people who their idea of leadership is you just lord it over the people. You know, you just, you, and, and so politically also, that's a big deal. So they come and they basically say, your father's yoke was too hard on us. And what, what sense do they make that his yoke was too hard on them? Taxes. Really high taxes, which to me has always seemed a little strange. Solomon was filthy rich to begin with. Why did he need such high taxes? But at any rate, he had them. What was the other thing that was a thorn in their flesh? Forced that forced labor business, man. So they want some tax relief, and they want to, you know, in the peacetime draft or whatever. And, uh, well, what is Rehoboam's first uh, response? Give me three days. I want to think about it. Give me three days. Now, what do you think about that response? Yeah. He wisely seeks counsel before he answers. He unwisely accepts the wrong counsel. But it was wise for him not to give an immediate answer and to think it over and ask for counsel. At any rate, you can say that. So what does he do to try to get some advice? He first consults with the, the older people. And what's the consensus advice from them? Give in. Yeah. Be a servant to this people. And then they'll serve you and, and uh, you know, they'll be a blessing to you. But, but, you know, you be a servant leader. You don't be an authoritarian, dictatorial, you know, I want to have control over everybody kind of a leader. Then who did he turn to? His peers. Yes. And uh, what does he call his peers? What uh, what's the term used for his peers? Young men. Do you know how old Rehoboam was? Pretty old. About 41. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't probably use the term young men for 41-year-olds. I suspect it's being used in this case because their advice is so immature the label fits. You know, not every 41-year-old has actually gotten to a 41-year-old maturity. And man, the way these guys talk, they sound like, you know, teenagers. Yeah, I was looking around and decided I wouldn't use that term. But they sound like um, people less mature than 41. We'll put it that way. And uh, so what's their answer to it? Make it even harder than it was before. What's the deal with that? What's their philosophy? What's their what's their theory about this? We'll shut them up. Put them to work. Was he? Think. If he if he doesn't push even harder, he'll appear weak. And then they all push him around. Yeah, you give an inch, they'll take a mile. You know, their philosophy is get tough. You know, show them, no, you're not going to be easier. You know, if you try to at all, like, you know, agree with the people, give in to the people, 
then, you know, you're going to be seen as weak and they're going to take advantage and it just wouldn't be a good idea. So, threaten, intimidate. So, they, man, this is really uh, aggressive things they say. You know, uh, you say, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. That may not even be uh, an appropriate statement for, for, you know, polite company. And, uh, but certainly is saying, you're going to be a lot harsher. And, uh, you know, my father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Good grief. I mean, that's just really an outrageous statement. Scorpion stings are horrendous. He's just trying, they're just saying, you just show them, you get in their face and you tell them, you know, they better, they better do everything you tell them because they haven't seen anything yet. They thought Solomon was rough on them. <laughs> You're really going to be rough. Now, why would Rehoboam choose to accept that kind of counsel? He was obviously predisposed to one angle or the other because he had both options. <laughs> yes, he was. What, but what is there about that that is appealing? Power. Yeah. Power. He's, he will be bigger, better, stronger than his father, who was the greatest king ever in terms of wealth and influence. It's male machoism, isn't it? You know, how many times do people think that it's you show you're a real man when you just, you know, don't let anybody push you around. You're a real man because you're tougher and meaner and ornerier than the next guy. That's what, that's what makes a man. Isn't that sometimes what people think? And I suspect that's kind of where Rehoboam was at. Now, granted, you have to stop and think about the fact that, um, you know, almost all his life was spent under the kingship of his father. So, uh, you know, you think about what has he learned in terms of how to exercise power and authority. I mean, you know, you know what happens in the second generation. They go way farther than the first generation. Go down the same road, but they go way farther down it. I mean, Solomon was abusive somewhat by taxing him so heavily and having this forced labor. In view of the fact he was filthy rich, he could have paid for the stuff. And so we are going just goes farther in that same direction. And it backfired on him. That was not a smart idea. Because the people aren't willing to do it. You know, he can't do this without the people. After all, you know, think about it. Is, is Rehoboam the kingdom? He's the king, but he's not the kingdom. I know something that was very impressive to me when I was uh, much younger in a church with a couple of good elders. They would, from time to time, talk to the congregation and one of the statements they would make is we're not the congregation you know it's not our congregation you know, we're all in this together you know this is not just us taking over and running things it, it's a matter of it's a group activity it's, it depends on all of us you know and so instead of trying to say okay this is what you're going to do it's more like well we're all in this together you know, it's a much better spirit. You know, it's amazing how much we are insecure when we've got authority. You know, elders not wanting to be servants because after all, you know, we've got to put them in their place or who knows what kind of mutiny there might be. You know, husbands that think, 
you know, I've got to just dictate every move my wife makes. I've got to make life pretty much intolerable for her. Or you never know when she'll liable to be rebellious. Parents who just act so unwisely sometimes with their kids. They want to control everything. They want to order everything. And, and even harshly. You know, there's a difference between earning respect and demanding respect. You are going to respect me. Well, yeah, you might obey me, but you're probably not going to achieve earning respect by decree. Respect comes from acting respectably. So, Rehoboam just typifies this, this non-servant mentality of a leader. He says exactly what they just said. In the end, you know, his studied response is not any better than if he'd have reacted right on the spot. You know, that's kind of sad, but not always thinking things over and getting counsel makes you say and do the better thing. And I think with Rehoboam, it's not a matter of whose advice is better, it's whose does he like better. Sometimes we're like that. You know, who's going to tell me what I want to hear? All right, thoughts and comments on all that. A lot of times we get after him for even going to the younger people. But it's not really who he went to. I mean, you could get good advice from younger people. You could get advice from older people. So you get all the advice you can. You just take the younger ones with a grain of salt. And you, you think about more of the older people. Uh, even though the younger ones are 40. And I thought about that. But you take everyone's advice and then you find out what's best. And a lot of times we get too hard on for going to everyone. I think that's a mistake. I'm with that. I, like I say, I think the younger and more in terms of the quality of the advice was immature. Uh, certainly not that younger people have to have bad advice. Jason? Well, you know, he was, looks like he was almost shopping around for the advice that coincided with what he wanted. We do that all the time. You know, we'll ask and ask and ask until we hear what we want to hear. And then, But then, well, I'm just doing what he suggested. And so I, we kind of pass the buck, you know, or pass the blame on to somebody else when that's just what you wanted to do all along. Yeah, there's this preacher who said it was okay, you know, or whatever. You know, we, you hear people doing that. We, we're all, like I say, somewhat like that. Or, you know, we kind of got in mind what we want to hear. Who will tell me what I want to hear? It's, it's kind of ironic that that Jeroboam is the one, he and his buddies are the ones who are kind of asking for this relief. He had been the slave master. Yeah. I mean, he'd been yeah. the guy in charge. So although... We, I don't. I don't think we have any record of what type of a administrator or you know the degree of harshness that he employed. You know whether that was coming. You know Solomon saying, "Be mean to these people," or if that was Jeroboam's thing, and yet he's the one who gets to look like a good guy for for opposing this. You know, the, the forced labor and the high taxes and you know. we probably don't have enough information to be sure about exactly where that all stood but it's interesting that that had been his role he knows a lot about the forced labor then whatever 
whatever he thinks about it now. But Jeroboam actually <coughs> had kind of a falling out with Solomon That's over right. the forced labor. Well, I don't know. Was, do we know it was over the forced labor? In 1 Kings 11, is that, that's where he was appointed. I declare there was something about him having a falling out because of... I mean, I see 11.26, but... Right. Well, I don't know if I'm able to find it. In 20, 27 it says, <coughs> Now this was the reason why he rebelled against the king, colon. Solomon yes. built, built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city, and Jeroboam was the valiant warrior, and he put, appointed him all. So it sort of sounds like it's all related there, that something about this construction problem, project, was part of the, the issue between them. Yeah, they've had a falling out, yeah. and I don't know to what extent the forced labor policies are a part of it. Notice that God uses this. You know, in 12.15, you know, it really establishes what Ahijah the prophet said. I mean, God knows what's going to happen, and so he is using this as a means of taking the kingdom away from Solomon's dynasty. Other thoughts? Well, 16 to 24. When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to the tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And it came about when all Israel heard that Rehoboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men, who were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to uh, Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and all the house of Judah and Benjamin, to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you must not go up and fight against your relatives, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and went their way according to the word of the Lord. I'll tell you one thing I learned from this. Is you don't have to be wise just because your father is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, northern tribes rebel. They kind of have this watchword of rebellion to your tents. That means like we're not going to submit to uh, uh, Rehoboam anymore. And, uh, you know, Rehoboam just be, is king over the city of Judah. As Judah is loyal to him and uh, all that. Well, what's Rehoboam's next bright move? <laughs> He's still in that macho man mode. Exactly. Oh, I'll send somebody up there and yeah. force him. You're not going to mess around with me. I still expect the quota of draftees from the Northern Kingdom. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. Uh, you know, his stupidity had not yet spent itself. 
And someone has said he's suffering from royal density. I like that expression, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be a hard liner. And he said he was gonna be harsher than Solomon. He's gonna walk the talk, you know. So he sends him right on up there. Nobody's gonna push him around. Well, of all the people he could have sent, this is the guy that's probably universally hated. It would be like sending the head of the IRS. You know, who wants to see the head of the IRS? <laughs> you know, even at a party, you know. You wonder if a guy like that ever gets any social invitations. Uh, and, and so, wow. Uh, what do they do with Adoram? Stolen. Wow. You know, this is pretty much disastrous. You know, and in fact, they nearly got Rehoboam. Rehoboam had to hightail it out of there not to get killed himself. You know, so he flees his own coronation to escape, escape assassination from his infuriated subjects. That's a lot of big words. <laughs> you had that I did. <laughs> when Shechem was a city of refuge, he's running from it. Yeah, that's an interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I think it was. That could put a damper on your day. Well, it's like, wow. You know, so, so look at this. I mean, he goes up there to be king. You know, inheriting the kingdom from his father. They say, listen, can you lighten up on us? Takes three days and says, no. I mean... Solomon's going to be light compared to me. They rebel. You know, he could have gone and said, look, I've reconsidered, you know, this is not a wise move, I'm sorry. You know, no, what does he say? Send the, the guy up to get the, get the slave labor from here. You know, I need, you know, 10,000 from, you know, Ephraim and whatever. And so it just really shows, and, and, and as if that wasn't enough, then what does he do? Calls up his army. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 180,000 chosen men to fight Israel. A show of force is his single track answer. It's all he can think of. Yeah, I'm going to, nobody's going to push me around. All right. They're not going to submit. Then war. I guess he'd have gone through with it too if it hadn't been for what? Prophet. Yeah, the prophet Shemaiah. Lots of prophets through kings. And, uh, you know, he says, No, you must not go up. Thus says the Lord, don't do it. And really, the first wise move Rehoboam makes in the whole chapter, he finally listens. And he doesn't, you know, just start civil war immediately. But man, this is the guy who is the son of the king who was the wisest man who'd ever lived. And he manages to bungle his way into losing ten of the tribes right off the bat. It's just, it's just sad. You know, so don't ever think, well, my dad's really smart. I'll do good. Come on. In Second Kings 24 there... Is the they who listened, is that more the people than the king, you think? Or? I suspect both. Okay. Speak to Rehoboam and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, saying. So I'm assuming that they is all of them. Okay. I mean, if Rehoboam had said, no, we're fighting anyway, I reckon he'd have, I don't know, maybe he, he might have been taken after his, his own people. Alone, <laughs> yeah, he so. might have been. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Adoram would have been would not have been there to uh, make a duo of it. So, mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> What's Shechem's role as a city right now? I, I would have figured his inauguration would have been there in Jerusalem. You know. Was it not? Was it the, like almost like a capital city? That's where. Where Abimelech was made king, and that's where some of the others. Saul. Wasn't, wasn't it before Jerusalem? Wasn't it like the capital? It was the really headquarters or whatever I, you call it. I get a little confused in between all these cities, so I'm not a good one to answer this question. But yeah, I think so. Well, David set it up. Saul doesn't matter. No, David set up Jerusalem, didn't he? Yeah, he saw it in the Jebusite. Right. Captured, I suppose. But when did he make it? Did he make it to capital? I don't know. Seven years. I remember it was in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Is that good? How good is that? I don't know. But I remember it. Where is that? Yeah, Over there in Israel. Shechem, is it in Israel? Yeah. 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 It was. It was. Uh, it was the place where when they came into the land, you know, they got the people to read the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal, and Shechem was a city in the valley in between the two. I remember that. But that's about all I know. Hmm. But when you only remember one thing, you've got to use it often. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Rehoboam. <laughs> kind of. So, alright, other thoughts or comments on that? This kind of reminds me of when David became king and there was initially a split between Judah and the rest of the nation. Yes. You think this kind of, you know, has its roots in that? Yes. That, you know, maybe the ten tribes weren't as devoted all along. Yes. I think there have been <clears throat> some hints of some division for a while. There are even some times back in the Judges where they number you know, Judah and Benjamin separately from the other tribes, or there's some indication of some sectional rivalry. So. Where they'll like give a census of right. the warriors from this place, and then there were 18,000 men of Judah. Right, and, and right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any natural boundaries there? Like, I don't there's not like a think so. The mountains going mountain north south. Or there's probably a pile of rocks. There's always a pile of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people are supposed to ask why that pile of rocks is there. <laughs> uh, so anytime. It's interesting to me to see uh, how Rehoboam's arrogance and poor choices ended up costing someone else their life, someone directly affiliated yep. with him. And we see that um, a lot um, in the lives of other people and sometimes even ourselves, how our poor choices can negatively, negatively affect other people. Amen. I'd like to have seen the uh, conversation with the young advisors later on. <laughs> it doesn't give us any detail. <laughs> You know, you go back to your cabinet and... Didn't work. Yeah. Are they still employed? I mean... <laughs> Are they still alive? Still alive? <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was this? <laughs> uh, the, he might have reneged on the consulting fee there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then I wonder how he treated Benjamin and Judah. <laughs> Do you still, <laughs> still demand the... No, he's really going to have to use scorpions because he's got a sixth of what he used to have. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Good questions. I don't know. I don't like Rehoboam. 
About 25 to 33. And Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go off to, uh, offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, your gods, O Israel, that brought, brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan, and he made houses on high places, and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah, and went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. And then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, and even in the month which he had devised his own heart, and he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel, and went up to the altar to burn incense. Well, I'll tell you what Jeroboam's problem was. He had heart trouble. And, and that's the key to this. In 26, he says in his heart, 20, in 33, he devised this feast in his heart. His heart wasn't right with God. Now, fundamentally, he's worried about the kingdom going down to Jerusalem to worship. Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom, and they're going to get down, they're going to like it, and they'll just defect, and I won't have a kingdom anymore. So he thinks, I've got to take measures in my own hands. You know, how many times do we violate God's will because we don't trust Him, because we're insecure and we think to provide, you know, for ourselves, we're going to have to do something wrong, because if we don't, who knows what might happen. So he speaks with his, within his heart. He, you know, he's, he decides in his own self, you know, we can't let this happen. We're going to have to do something. And what he does is clearly not the right thing. He becomes the Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that made Israel sin, which is like 21 times in the Old Testament or something like that. You know, as opposed to David, who is kind of the model of a good king, Jeroboam becomes kind of the, you know, I don't know, repeated, you know, emphasis of the bad kings. So what does he do? Makes golden calves and tells the people, hey, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Just worship you. It's too much trouble to go down to Jerusalem. And where does he put them? Dan and Bethel. Yeah, exactly. Dan in the far north, Bethel on the dividing line with uh, Judah. You know, convenient, you know, um, wow. Does he, does he remind you of anybody? Aaron. Really? Because what did Aaron do? Yes, he preached the same sermon and he uses the same objects of worship, the golden calves. But it's the very same speech that Aaron made back in Exodus 32. These are the gods, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. But do you know the other weird similarity between Aaron and Jeroboam? 
the names of their kids. Remember the names of Aaron's kids? Nadab and Abihu. You can stop right there. Nadab and Abihu are the two bad ones. Do you remember the names of Jeroboam's kids? He had a good name, Nadab. Nadab and Abijah. Now here's the deal. Abihu means he is my father. Abijah means Jehovah is my father. It's virtually the same name. I think he names his kids after Aaron's kids. I think he really purposely was trying to follow Aaron. What I can't understand is why would you? It didn't work well for Aaron. It's dumb to follow the guy who was the loser. But it looks to me like it's hard to imagine he wasn't consciously copying some things out of the life of Aaron. He made priests too. He do, he makes four changes. He changes the objects of worship, the golden calves, the places of worship, Dan and Bethel. He changes the priesthood. He makes non-Levites priests. Evidently, he actually people pay him to get to be priests. We'll see that uh, in a later book. You know, Second Chronicles says that. And he changed the religious calendar. He the feast he devised in his own heart was uh, in in the month he devised in his own heart. It was the 15th day of the 8th month. When was the Feast of the Tabernacles? 15th day of the 7th month. So what is he doing? He thinks that he's allowed to kind of, uh, you know, massage the religion. You know, kind of mold it. And, you know, he sees religion as being something sort of pliable that we can adapt to the situation and circumstance. That we can kind of, you know, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it'll, it'll, we can, um, we can manipulate it a little bit. It's not a, it's not a fixed thing. You don't tell me that religion is something, you just have to follow all these rules. You know, you got to kind of fit it to your situation. It's, it's, uh, you got to kind of adapt it for what works for you. Blended church. That's exactly right. Don't don't people today say that, say that same thing? And you know, they react against the idea of a religious order, a pattern that has to be followed. Well, and by putting this feast in the eighth month, those who wanted to could still go down to Jerusalem for the seventh month and then come back for the eighth month. So there's no conflict between the two if they decide they want to do this. It makes it very convenient for. Mm-hmm. Those who are on the fence. Because he's hoping they don't go down to Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll go down the first year and see how difficult it is. And then they'll just go to their local worship center at Dan or Bethel. Yeah. <laughs> Good boy. Look at this. Church for the rest of us. <laughs> look, at, <laughs> look at 31 and following. In the original, the emphasis on this one verb is amazing. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam literally made a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah, and he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even the month which he had literally made in his own heart and he literally made a feast for the sons of Israel and went to the altar to burn incense. Eight times in three verses is what he made. He's following the religion he made. So the religion that God made, he does what he made. Isn't that what people do? We make it to suit ourselves instead of listening and following what God made. I think this is exactly what people have done today. 
comments and thoughts. Oh, we ought to get a billboard. You know, you see all these advertisements. <laughs> Come as you are and weeks, you know, church for... Church for the rest of us, yeah. They, billboards weren't so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> those. Come as you are, leave as God wants you. <laughs> yeah, really. People yeah. try to make religion and faith into something that's convenient and something that's just supposed to make you feel good, but if our service to God doesn't cost us anything, how much is it worth? Yeah, I don't go to church to have to feel guilty. You know, I go there, I want to feel good when I leave. Yeah. You know, religion ought to serve me. It ought to meet my needs. It's like, I thought this was supposed to be worshiping God. You know, how about what pleases Him? But in, in our time, it's what pleases us. Was here too. I think we get lots of response, but if we go board, lots of judging. <laughs> <laughs> Judgmental atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> your clothes, your hair, your shoes, your attitude, your life, your sins, we'll judge it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, my time's up, so, uh, but great to study this. I think there's a lot of uh, really